0: You're listening to the Locked In Podcast. Here's your host, Algernon Cash. I'm Algernon Cash, and you're locked in. Um, Across our great country, we are experiencing a severe housing shortage at a time when the economy is really, really booming right now. Um, And that is certainly just as true right here in um, our backyard, right here in North Carolina. Uh, this year, actually, I just wrapped up the final meeting about a week ago. This year, I had a chance to participate in a, another North Carolina Leadership Forum conversation. This one was very specific to the triad region of North Carolina. And the topic of our discussion this year was housing and what's going on with the housing availability right here in North Carolina. And, you know, we also talked about a lot of ideas that we might be able to deploy um, to increase the housing supply, which would obviously bring down prices for so many individuals and families who want to be a homeowner. And, you know, during the forum, I had a chance to reconnect with a good friend, uh, Jason Ewing, who is a former city councilman over in High Point, um, a a longtime real estate professional. And is now the land acquisition manager at Sugart Homes, which is a subsidiary of Mungo Homes, um, primarily developing throughout the Atlantic region of our country. Jason, thank you for locking in with me. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, Adjano. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you taking some time out. you very busy schedule. I know you and I, we text and talk and um, we even have a few projects that we're trying to look at together. So I know how busy you are. Um, you know right now there's a housing boom all over the the country and um, so, certainly right here in our backyard here in North Carolina, um, we are seeing population growth here in North Carolina at at, at, um, at a you know significant rate. but that's also happening at a time where we have you know severe housing shortages and not as much housing availability. You're out there in the market every single day, always looking for a um, looking for land to start your next new home community. What are you seeing in North Carolina when you're riding around? Well,
1: I see we've got a lot of opportunity, but we've got a huge shortage of resources. Uh, you know, we've we've got a number of sites that we're currently developing and, and looking at constructing new homes, but there's a huge workforce shortage in in the development industry right now and the home building industry. You know, we struggle to find um, contractors and and developers that have been doing it long enough. To, to really be able to engage and get done what we need them to get done in the time frame that it needs to be done within, uh, you know, our our governments, city and county governments, are are all bogged down with with permitting and and inspections, and they're taking a little bit longer to to get things through the pipeline. So it's it's a slowdown all over the place, and and all that sort of has added to the the uh, lack of inventory we're seeing in, in our market.
0: Yeah, you know, we, you know, obviously I talk to a lot of restaurant owners. I talk to a lot of small business owners across um, a, a variety of industries, and we constantly hear people saying that the, the labor shortage is is, is, is the, the driving factor um, behind a lot of a lot of the, the struggles they're experiencing. So what I hear you're saying is, is even in home building, one of the things that's driving up the price and um, may, maybe driving down inventories, is just not enough people to actually get out to the job site.
1: Exactly, exactly. Labor shortage is a huge part of that. Um, when, when COVID hit a little over two years ago, that really hurt us because it put us on our heels for a couple months. You know, we, like so many other um, national, regional builders, learned from our experiences from 2008. And we, we learned to not put a bunch of spec buildings up so we stopped. We stopped going through that production process until we knew what was going to happen coming out of COVID, when we were going to come out of COVID, when, when things were going to start opening up again. And really the, the two and a half months that we were sort of shut down, so to speak, it, it put us back much longer than we needed to be. You know, we look back now and say, we should have kept pushing through and, and building during that time period. Um, but the unknown sometimes paralyzes us as uh, 2008 taught us a lot of, a lot of lessons. You,
0: you know, I also hear a lot of businesses talking about um, supply chain disruption, um, just not being able to get the necessary supplies to manufacture the widget or prepare the, the, the meal that they always prepare every weekend for their customers. Um, talk a little bit about supply chain disruption and what that might be doing Um, within the home building industry?
1: Certainly. So we've had issues the last year or more. Um, You know, first started out, we we couldn't get the windows. So we we had homes built to the point of windows, and then we couldn't move on. We we were waiting six to eight months on window deliveries. And and then it was cabinets, and, and then it was siding. Trusses have been a huge issue getting trusses in. Uh, obviously, with the lumbered costs, what they are, lumber shortages, um, all supplies are, are, are really challenging. Our procurement team has been working tirelessly over the last year, trying to find alternate sources that we can potentially purchase from that, that could hit the deadlines that we need. So we don't have the house framed and we've got to slam the brakes on it for, for three months until we can get the, the necessary. Uh, materials to finish.
0: So, you, you, you know, you heard me mention at the outset of our conversation that here in North Carolina, we are experiencing a population boom. Um, and we're, we're seeing that across the state, whether it's in Wilmington or Raleigh here in the triad, all the way down to Charlotte and even out to Asheville. Um, what, what is the demand scenario look like on your end? I mean, are you seeing huge, huge demand for, um, people wanting to own, own their own homes? Um, are you seeing more demand for apartments? Is it some kind of, you know, is it, is it sort of split in the middle right now? What, what, what's going on with the demand side within housing?
1: We're seeing huge demand for home ownership, and, and we've had to sort of pace how many homes we can release every month for sale uh, because the demand on homes, we would sell out and, and then we wouldn't be able to sell for six months. Because the production time, so we've had to really pace ourselves with how we release homes to to be built and to be sold so so we we can continue and have a consistent um, sales stream. the uh, the build for rent side, you know mm-hmm. the the hedge fund money that's going into to single family detached rental properties is just absolutely amazing. I mean, I'm surprised and how many homes are being sold for that purpose.
0: You know, I, real, I hate to cut you off, Jason, real quick, for my audience that may not be as savvy about real estate and housing development as you and I, talk a little bit about, dr- drill down a little bit on what Build for Rent actually is.
1: Yeah, uh, certainly. So Build for Rent is, is a number of different companies. Uh, America, Home Foods for Rent, uh, you know, Open Door, there's a lot of LLCs uh, and corporations that, are using hedge fund money. People are shifting their money out of the tax market, to the um, out of the brokerage market, and putting it into real estate. And and these fund managers, they're buying up single family homes in, in neighborhoods all across the country, uh, really targeting probably the, the hot fifty um, regions in in the U.S. And you know, fortunately, we're one of those regions that are targeted. Um, I know talking to a number of my, my brokerage, um, friends over the years that they, they've been representing buyers the last six months have been losing out to, to these corporate purchasers mm-hmm. are just turning single family homes into rental properties because the demand for rental properties are, are going up. As you mentioned, the economic development, uh, impact to this area, we have thousands of jobs coming over the next five to 10 years and the, the rental companies see an opportunity but they want to have enough rooftops that they can rent to these new, um, the, the new population coming into our, our region.
0: You know, right now, I, I can tell there, there's a, a, a young family out there listening to this conversation on, on a Sunday morning. And um, they just heard what you said. And, and it, it, it probably made them angry. You know, they they've always wanted to own their own home. Um, the American dream is to own your own home. And they go out to try to buy their home and they're competing against some Wall Street investor on on that actual home. Um, You're in the home building business. I mean, what's your what's your position on that? Should we should we we allow institutional investors to push the market the way they are?
1: You know, it's it's a double edged sword Uh, on the home building side. We we see it because we we work with build for rent companies. And while we haven't done any build front deals in the Triad, um, we have other areas within our company that have, and they're they're very lucrative. You know, when a company comes in and says we want to buy up um, 120 homes, you know, they, they close on 120 homes in one day, mm-hmm. and then it's up to us to to produce so many per month. Um, so it's it's extremely lucrative from a building side. But we also want to maintain enough homes to sell to the actual owner-occupied. You know, our our sales team depends on on being able to to make commissions and and sell those homes, which the build for rent is packaged up and sold to to the investor. So, you know, we want to have a a really strong balance of of homes that are available to the, the folks that want to purchase and live in their homes and that enables them to go through the sales process and then still have some portfolio where, where you've got the institutional buyers for, that are flipping them for rents.
0: You know, I've, I've heard some congressional lawmakers say that institutional investors should be barred from um, playing in the real estate market. You, you know, housing is housing. That's something that it's, that's a critical need for all of us. Um, we all need shelter, um, you know, that type of thing. I mean, what's your position on just kicking out investors in the housing market in general?
1: You know, I think that um, I think we would see our inventory levels rise quickly if, if you look at the, the MLS data just just in our area. Look at it quarterly and and you've seen a quarterly influx over the last 12 to 18 months of cash buyers, percentage of cash buyers getting higher and higher and higher. And a a good portion of that is those institutional buyers that are coming in. So I think if you eliminated the institutional buyer, it it would cause our inventory levels to rise Mm. and our market would would slow down considerably considerably. and what they've done with the interest rates, raising the interest rates, that has really accomplished um, the same thing, slowing the, slowing the market down a little bit and creating more inventory. However, that is sort of the, the opposite effect of what you would get if you took the institutional buyers out. With the interest rates going up, the buyers who, who could afford a $350,000 house at 4.5% interest can't afford that house at five and three quarters. So that takes them out of the market, but the institutional buyer still has cash and they're still going to go out and they're still going to make purchases. So, you know, I think having a balance between the two would be good. Uh, I don't know how you legislate that, Um, but I think that there is need for, for something to be done that that will limit the institutional buyers. So, um, homeownership can be achieved by those that, that want to achieve it, and then co- can afford to achieve it.
0: Yeah. I, I've just seen so many crazy stories. I mean, some down in Texas, but even some of our, in our backyard or in, over in Raleigh, um, where, where many houses are on the market for less than 24 hours. Um, oftentimes houses are being bought sight unseen. And, um, if, if you're that family that's just starting out, you know, you're, you late twenties, early thirties, starting to build a family, um, it becomes very difficult for you to compete, you know, against these very large investors. Um, and then a lot, a lot of people are arguing that the reason why we see so many um, um, higher prices within the, the, the home sector right now is because of all this hot money that's actually flowing into the, to the industry. How do we get housing back more affordable just for that young family that you heard me describe? Uh,
1: you know, I think interest rates coming down is a big key to that. Um, a, a lot of the economic reports I've read, and especially the, talking more into the, the inflation that we've seen over the last, um, six to 12 months, the, uh, the, the stuff that I've read, the indicators show that our pricing isn't going to come down too much. You know, we might have a little bit of a, of a drop, but I think we're, we're pretty much flatlined right now with, with pricing, mm. um, and, you, and when and, you say
0: us, uh, you mean North Carolina specific, right? Correct. I got you. Correct. So
1: uh, I, I think the interest rates are how we really make it more affordable. Once the interest rates can go back down to where they had been in, in the threes and low fours, that's where you're going to make it more affordable for, for the, the everyday home buyer, the the middle, the middle class that are really being hurt right now with, with high interest rates and high prices of homes.
0: You know, you you at the outset of our conversation, I talked a little bit about the, the leadership forum that you and I both participated in with um, community and business leaders from all around the triad region. Um, we had five great meetings throughout the triad. I thought that the conversations were um, not only insightful, but, but very powerful. Um, everyone sort of brought a different perspective to the table. I think you and I ended up gravitating towards one another quite more because we were we represented more of the industry and. Um, But then we also got to meet people like our new friend, Kristen Powers, who is trying to develop a tiny home community on a farm down in Graham. So I I really, you know, Jason, I just thought it was such a powerful experience. Um, But but over and over, it it seemed like there was one um, central message that kept coming out from you and I when we would have conversations, not only between each other, but also with the other group participants. And and that's just these overzealous um, zoning laws. Um, and, and local governments that are that are preventing um, higher density um, what what are you as you're riding around the triad, riding around North Carolina, what are you seeing in in, in the way of local government actually um, keeping houses or keeping homes um, you know not affordable?
1: But as we've spoke for the last couple of months um, about zoning, it, it's a huge issue. You have some more rural communities that RS40 is what they stick to, and, and for those that, that don't know, RS40 is a 40,000 square foot lot, and there's 43,516 square feet in an acre. So you're, you're basically looking at a one-acre size lot, and and that's great in some rural communities um, where you can build large McMansions like on on a one acre and sell them for 750. Uh, it's great for a, a custom home builder. But, but for us as a, a smaller, more regional builder, um, it, it's challenging because of the larger the lot. If, if we build a, let's say, a 44-foot wide home and we build that house on a 65-foot wide lot, you know, we, we sod our front and side yards. So sodding 65-foot side to side and then another 21-foot uh, combined side yard, that's, that's fairly considerable of cost. Um, but if you are in a rural area where they require a hundred foot wide line, mm. you know, now you've got that much more square footage that you have to solve you have to pave and curb. Um, so there's, there's some of these costs that go into it. And, and I know I've spoke a few months back when we were having conversations in the leadership forum Cluster zoning is is one option that there are some municipalities that, that utilize that. And what that is, is it allows you to retain the same density. So, you know, one to one and a quarter units per acre, but it allows you to cluster those homes on lot sizes that make sense mm. and then have tons of open space. You know, you can have walking trails, you can have gathering spaces, fire pits, picnic areas, gazebos, whatever um, would fit the, that market. But it, it really allows the developer to build more affordably, which then that affordability gets passed on to the, the consumer. And right now, dirt is like gold.
0: Mm-hmm. Sellers
1: want a high premium for their land and they're getting it. And in order to make that high cost work, you know, we have to put houses tighter. We have to get more density. We have to put in some some townhomes, some multifamily, whatever we can do to make the numbers work.
0: Yeah, you know, and I think the reason land prices are trading at the, the valuation they, they they're trading at is that a lot of landowners have been told there's there's not a lot of land left, um, and and there's certainly not a lot of um, especially when you look around our urban counties like Forsyth and Guilford and Wake and Durham and Mecklenburg, um, you, you just don't see a lot of um, large contiguous sites put together, which for people like you who are, you know, you get out and put together um, land for, for your company, you know how hard it is when you're dealing with 20 or 30 different families trying to assemble a site. So, um, you know, your job's always a lot easier if you can go in and just buy one 100-acre track and, and go ahead and start to, to be able to develop. But what I, what I really believe is not that it's not a lot of land left, it, it's the, the land we've used, we've used it so inefficiently, um, it's created a, a sense that we think that there's not a lot of land left. What what do, what do does my audience need to know? What do we need to be doing um, to try to encourage our local governments to really look harder at higher density development um, so that we can bring the price of houses down um, and, and just make the, the idea of owning your own home more, more inclusive?
1: You know, one thing that uh, I think could be talked about by everyone is, is walkability. If if you have large home sites, you, you've got a neighborhood that is spread out. Whereas if if everyone's tighter together, you know, mixed use, we've talked about mixed use a number of times. You know, if you can create a mixed use development, um, you know, there's a couple of, in Kernersville that, that are being constructed. You have one up in, in northeast Greensboro. Um, where, where you can have single family, but have grocery, have some commercial amenities nearby that they're yeah. walkable. And, and, and that is, we, we saw a huge push over the last five years for more downtown development, more urban living. And, and one of the, the, the most attractive things about that, that that I've seen and heard is the walkability People want to be able to, to take their pet outside, take them for a walk around the block, take them back upstairs, and then go out and grab lunch. You know, maybe go out to the bar and, and have a drink, or walk a couple blocks and go see a, a show. So the, the the walkability factor is is really important to a lot of folks, and I think higher density gives you that ability to do more walkability. Um, in addition to to walkability, it's it's cost and, and being able to expand into some of these outer areas of cities, uh, we run into huge issues with water and sewer. You know, there, there's more public water spread out than there is sewer, and when you don't have public sewer, septic requires bigger lots. You have to have a larger septic field to accommodate a three, four, you know, five-bedroom home. Mm-hmm. So, so th- those are some of the challenges that, that we face. And, and I think two items to, to talk to, to local government would be, again, one, higher density and more walkability, uh, where they, they can look at and approve mixed-use type developments. And then expanding their water and sewer network to acreage that are just outside city limits or within their um, extraterr- extraterritorial jurisdiction that would allow tax base growth for them and, and more rooftops for, for people to live in their cities.
0: Yeah, and, and I would also encourage my audience. I mean, we have to also move away from this um, concept of NIMBYism. Um, and for my audience members who don't know what that means, that means not in my backyard. And all of us, we, we want to see housing affordability. We want, we want houses to be affordable. We want everyone who wants to have access to owning their own home to be able to do so. Um, for those people who want to stay in apartments, they ought to have access to be able to do that and do it affordably. And in order for that to happen, we, we need to make certain that we're not writing um, zoning laws or encouraging zoning laws um, that, that really are just not inclusive. Um, and, and to some degree, I, I believe some of these zoning laws even discriminate against people, not based on race, because we've done away with that. We, we, we addressed that 30, 40 years ago. But Some of these zoning laws still discriminate based on um, social, your, your economic profile, Um, And so if you're someone that lives in an apartment and you rely on an apartment, um, a lot of folks don't want people building apartments in their backyard. So we've got to get away from that um, in order for us to to, to really make housing, you know, far more inclusive. And I echo your comments, Jason, about um, just walkability. And, you know, I live downtown. I I actually just um, uh, moved into a 140 year old house in West End. I'm I'm right on Sixth um, Street, so I'm two blocks from Sixth and Vine. I can go grab a pizza at Quanto Basta, um, but then I can also head right over to um, Publix and, and get some groceries if I need to as well. So I agree. You, you know, when you create these kind of dynamic communities and and and, and more mixed use communities, um, you you do you do get those those achievements. Um, you know, my last question before I, I'll let you go. Um, The last time we saw a big housing boom was was right before the Great Recession. And, you know, you mentioned it at the outset of our conversation right after the Great Recession. We saw a big contraction in housing. No land was being developed, no houses being built, no apartments being built. Um, Some may argue that we're getting ready to head back into round two of that. Um, Do you see the situation or where we are with the housing economy? Is it the same as what we saw back in 2009, 2010? And if not, what's different?
1: In my opinion, I don't think we are. Uh, again, reading uh, a number of economists' reports and, and projections, the, the cause of the 2008 housing collapse was completely different from where we're at now. Right now, high demand is what's, what's driving the, the slowdown in, in housing. And, and again, the lag time, because 10 years ago, we had no lots on the ground. And it takes time to develop land and get those lots on the ground. When I was on city council, um, just shortly, well, during that recession period, we might have had maybe a half a dozen rezoning, residential rezoning cases in a calendar year. Mm. And and now you're looking at probably at least six to 10 a month in some Mm. of these jurisdictions. Um, So so that was a, a huge reason why we're where we're at now. Had everyone continued developing lots and building homes the last ten years, we should have the inventory now. Um, but but the other issue from two thousand and eight in the Great Recession was was based on on mortgages. The the fiscal policy of how these mortgages were being granted and some of the some of the predatory lending that was going on is what really hurt us. And, and now it's not that same, same issue. They've, they've made some corrections with uh, the with mortgage industry, as, as you're well aware of. Um, and, and again, the, the cash buyers that we have, both institutional buyers, and we've seen a lot of people from the North that are cashing out in the North, where, where homes are a lot more expensive. And then they come down here and they can pay cash for, for homes that we have in North Carolina. You know, we're fortunate that While we've seen housing prices go up, we're still probably one of the more affordable states in the U.S.
0: We are. And, you know, North Carolina, we've been very good about that, even during the last um, recession, the Great Recession. um, We just didn't see, you know, prior to that, we didn't see the run up in, um, you know, housing valuations. That they saw in New York, California, Florida, Texas, and so many other places. So we did see a drop, but we didn't we didn't go we didn't go as high as them. So we didn't have to fall as hard as they had to as well. And I do think the other thing we have going here in North Carolina is that we are on a tear. When it comes to economic development and just large job announcements coming to the triangle, the triad, and even down, you know, 85 quarter going down into Charlotte. And so I think there's going to be so much, um, so many new people moving into North Carolina, so many new industries coming over the next 10 years that that's going to be able to sustain um, a lot of our housing growth. And so Jason, I appreciate you, first of all, for being a good friend, second for locking in and just helping my audience learn a little bit more about sugar and um, what's going on around North Carolina with housing. Um, As I get ready to let you go, man, you got anything you want to add or leave the people with,
1: you know, just uh, anyone who's thinking about buying or selling, talk to a professional. You see a lot of people that read a book and they think that they can do it on their own uh, spending 15 years on the brokerage side. Um, I can tell you there's a lot of value in, in utilizing a professional real estate broker. And I would encourage anybody to, to pick up the phone and call one before they they take on purchasing or selling a home on their own.
0: And if you're thinking about buying a new home, go find a sugared homes community. There are plenty right. of them out there throughout the triad. So make sure you consider them, if you are in the market for a new home to my audience, I want to thank y'all for locking in. Um, do make sure you stay tuned to WTOB every Sunday morning. That is where the Locked In Show broadcasts. Um, but if you happen to miss it there, hopefully you are subscribed to the podcast. So you can download the podcast at Apple, Spotify, Pandora, wherever you like to get your favorite podcasts. You can lock in with me there. Make sure you continue to follow Algernon Cash on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. And until next time, y'all stay locked in. executive producer of the Locked In Podcast is Algernon Cash for WCG. The associate producer is Tim Beeman for Such and Such Media. The views and opinions in this podcast are solely those of the contributors and are not necessarily those of our distributors or hosting company. This podcast is copyrighted and cannot be reproduced without express written consent of WGC.